Coming up this week on the Course of Life podcast, we had some serious playoff drama at the RBC Heritage, plus a rookie winner on the LPJ Tour. And speaking of the LPJ Tour, I am on site right now at their first major of the year, the Chevron Championship. We have all the tea from there in my conversations that are coming to future episodes as well. Uh, we're also tuned into Air, the movie, my review from the cinema, and making fun of our birthplace a little bit. Uh, This week's guest, friend of the show, Cole Thompson, back to preview next week's NFL draft. We always love catching up with him. He brings that football energy to get you excited for next week's draft festivities. And it is a Bucky's snack lottery when we always end with food. All of it brought to you by our friends at Swing Juice. And Mike, we are eagerly awaiting Swing Juice gear to be at our front door and can't wait to be rocking it regularly. Um, I'm always rocking the Golf and Taco shirt um, on the course here in Austin, Texas, or wherever I go. And we just love their vibe and their apparel. The, the essence of life is through Swing Juice. They've got bold, colorful patterns. They've also got real sophisticated stuff for any type of golfer, uh, whether you're casual or serious about the game, or you're just looking to have a good time in life. We love everything that Swing Juice offers as a brand. And we featured Dakota, one of their founders as well, in a recent podcast episode. If you want to check that out as well, too, be sure to go to swingjuice.com and enter promo code LIFE20. Again, that's LIFE20 for 20% off anything on the website. They have an unbelievable array of uh, apparel for any type of golfer or any golf fan in your life. So again, that's promo code LIFE20 at swingjuice.com. interwebs and welcome to course of life we are proud to be presented by our friends at desert fox golf and swing juice i'm michael he's alex and alex they were uh, just up the road from me at harbor town for the rbc heritage a yes. fantastic tournament as always one of the best venues to follow up augusta just a beautiful course up there on the marsh on Hilton Head Island. And, uh, you know, there was just so much that went on during this weekend from the Dr- Boeing Dreamliner flyover, just a thousand feet off the ground, which is just spectacular to see, uh, to the full Jordan Spieth experience in which he literally won the tournament twice during the three hole playoff before eventually losing to Matthew Fitzpatrick. Yeah, that is the full Jordan Spieth experience. And the other crazy one is you forget the Jordan Spieth tee shot with the cannon on Tuesday to start the week's festivities. Yeah. You know, this tournament is just full of random moments. Um, and we always love the RBC Heritage. Beautiful track, beautiful venue as it's been forever. And they've lifted it to designated event status as well, too. So it brought a lot of the big names that have been playing there in recent years. But it confirmed the fact that you were getting guys like Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm there. But... One name that we need to address real quick that was decidedly missing, and it came with some punishment, was Rory McIlroy. Yeah, Rory uh, missed the Tournament of Champions to start the year, and he yep. is uh, surprisingly absent from Harbortown. Uh, that missed more than one I, designated I, event, Mike. Yeah, I didn't really hear yeah, anything he about giving a reason as to why. I think maybe the biggest reason is he went, hey, I played horribly at Augusta, once again, not <laughs> getting a green jacket. It's the Rory story at Augusta. Uh, and he decided to take the week off, I think probably so he could, you know, hit hit the stop button and hit restart and just try to get everything back in line for himself. Um, but supposedly he's going to be taking three million dollars out of his pit money is going to be withheld and not given to him now. 
Uh, obviously, a drop in the bucket to a guy like Rory McIlroy. Three I, million I guess is so. going to change his life here. Um, wow! But how about that, I Mike? Mean, you can you can wow. just you can just decide. You know what? I'm good. You can have the three million. I'm actually just going to spend a week at home with my family. How's how's that for living? That's when you know your life's in order, right? I mean, when you're the number, what is he now? Number four, number five player in the world. He's dropping from the top three. Um, it's just you know, it doesn't matter as much. I and mean, you got all this other stuff coming up. You know, and he should be fine because he is the poster boy for the tour and he should show that, you know, he's not above the law as as no, such. definitely not. So the, the, then again, the, next year, it's not going to matter. There's no requirement to play in these events starting next year. So, mm, yes. OK, fair enough. So that, that is a good point to bring in contextually. And we don't have to really speculate on what's maybe going on in his personal life. But the bottom line is, I, I think there's just a certain amount of exhaustion with Rory because we've seen him wear so many hats for the last nine to 12 months now. Uh, on top of trying to be the world's best golfer, he's in all these meetings. He's meeting with the tour commissioner left and right. He's trying to convince the best players to play all the designated events. He's trying to fight the live battle at every press conference he's in. I think Rory's just really, really pooped in a, in a lot of different directions. <laughs> and it was just, this is probably just one of those weeks off like that. You know, I get that. Like you're tired. But look, John Rahm won the Masters and came in with, what, a tie 16th finish? Touche. He finish. said he owed it I to mean, the fans, Mike. He owed it to the sense. fans. You know, <laughs> think about that little kid, he said, that, that had been, you know, in South Carolina watching golf all year. They get there for the Heritage Week, and they want to see the Masters champion teed up, and, and he delivered that. And he mentioned that in his CBS commentary. And I don't know if you saw Sunday afternoon. Let's get to the finish now. But John yeah. Rahm actually did about an hour or about, no, about 20, 30 minutes of legit commentary in the booth. And it was fascinating to hear his perspective as he was watching those shots down the stretch on Sunday. Yeah, I was honestly half paying attention at that point. I think I was in the kitchen trying to get stuff ready for dinner. Uh, but it was interesting to see them put John Rahm in the booth of all people. And he was even like, I'm not very good at this. Yes. He <laughs> said, so, I, I don't like this job, guys. I don't, I don't like this feeling right now. He just kept yeah. saying that. He's like, this just makes me, uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd just rather be out there. Like, all right, John, that's why, that's why you're out there. But anyways, yep. yeah, the, the finish was absolutely amazing. Let's get to it. The full Jordan Spieth experience and, and the uh, impending Fitz versus Spieth playoff. You said it, Mike. Jordan Spieth was hitting edges, lipping out all day long. It, it felt like he had the tournament won at least a couple of times. It, it's almost a shame he didn't go back to back and defend. It felt like it just slipped right out of his fingers at the last moment. Yeah, you know, I was really appreciative that it seemed like Jordan and, and Fitzpatrick were playing speed golf next to Patrick Cantley in the threesome, yes. that final threesome. <laughs> you know, they'd have Cantley would be, you know, playing for about 15 minutes until he finally hit the ball. And then they'd cut over to Fitzpatrick, who was already halfway through his backswing. Right, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, just. Cantley, then also thank God Cantley wasn't able to keep it together for this win. Of course, he had the playoff loss to Jordan last year. Last year, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and Fitzpatrick, after his great play on Saturday, able to keep it together and and have go against Spieth in the playoff. And Spieth, of course, almost threw it away when he put the ball in the water on what was that, fourteen or fifteen. Um, okay. So. And then we go to the playoff, and yeah, like you said, lipping out. Jordan won the won the the whole thing until that ball decided it didn't want to go in on the first yep, playoff it's, hole. It's the classic line, Mike. Oh, yeah, that, that was in until it wasn't. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> that, that was in until it wasn't. And he had a few of those. Putt, 
if that putt though doesn't encompass the entire Jordan Spieth experience, I don't know what does. <laughs> That's it. He's a wild. He's the wildest ride out there for any golf fans or just casual sports fans that want to look at the craziness of the PGA Tour. He's the guy to follow. And and Fitzpatrick gets it done. And, and quick notes on Fitzpatrick, Mike. The nine iron. The nine iron he hit on that third playoff yeah. hole uh, within a foot. Same nine iron he used on the 72nd hole to win the U.S. Open out of that fairway bunker. Yep. So that club has treated him very well. And the other cool Fitzpatrick angle, I don't know if you saw this, but the Fitzpatrick family used to vacation at Harbor Town and yep. CC Island regularly as a kid growing up. So he knew this course is like going back to his classic childhood vacation spot and getting a win. So a really cool full, full circle moment there for Fitz. Not only that, or the the head cover on the driver is from uh, Harbor Town is a lighthouse head cover. Uh, something that I, I, I never really, you know, you don't notice that until they start talking about it. So I love kind that of red and white lighthouse. Patrick was able to take that W. Uh, and his, his remote, correct me if I'm wrong. This is his first win since winning, uh, at the country club. Yeah. And it's his first, what I'd like to call regular old PGA tour win, you know, D- yeah. despite the fact it's $3.6 million in, in his account. So there's nothing to, to shy away from there, but yeah, first one outside of the major victory last summer. So Matthew Fitzpatrick takes the W. Uh, we'll talk about where the guys go next. Patrick Cantley will be back in action playing super slow next week. We'll talk about yep. that. But let's uh, switch over to the LPGA. It was the Latte Championship. And uh, rookie Grace Kim took the W. I, I know you, you know, pronunciation for me on this podcast is a problem, though. And yes, wanna, and we had a quite a moment else. this weekend on the LPGA Tour because the leaderboard was full of a lot of familiar faces with very easy names to pronounce. And then there was one player who, who I'm going to ask you to do one yeah. rendition of, Mike. I, I sent you the text message saying, yeah. we can have an all-time pronunciation moment on the podcast if this said LPGA player ended up winning. Fortunately for you, Rookie Grace Kim got it done in just her third start of a rookie campaign. So very impressive uh, from the rookie there. But but I'd like you to go ahead and, and pull up that text I sent you this weekend. And I want you to just give one crack at, at that player with the unbelievably hard name to pronounce as well. Yes, yeah, so finishing in a tie for six, three shots back, was uh, Nathakrita Vongtavilap. That's pretty good. I'm going to give you yeah. a B plus right there. Well done. Okay. I, that was pretty good stuff. So we're always looking out for the new funny names in the LPGA Tour. And um, that's quite a pronunciation, but I give you a B plus for that one. But regardless, the storyline is Grace Kim getting it done as a rookie. That's very impressive. You see the panache of winners out on tour. There usually aren't too many rookies that get it done that fast in their career. Uh, so that was really cool. And, and thus, she qualifies for a whole bunch of other tournaments coming up as well. And now the LPGA turns to their major this weekend. It's the Chevron Championship, new new venue for the Chevron. Yeah, new and venue, and I'm here. Of all places. I'm out there. I'm out here, Mike. I'm, I'm looking out the window right now of a of a funky little town called Egypt, Texas. That's right. I'm I'm live from Egypt right now as we speak. Uh, can you see the pyramids? I can. I think they're right over that oak tree behind the cell tower there. Does that, does that, okay. sound, that seem right to you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right, actually. If you've seen <laughs> Egypt, that sounds about right. <laughs> so Egypt, just outside of Magnolia, it's the club at Carlton Woods, the Nicholas Signature Course. So this is a new venue for the Chevron Championship. People will previously remember this event being held out of Indio and Palm Springs there. Um, 
in the desert. Uh, they moved it this year, uh, so it's a couple hours away from me. So I made the trip out. I'm going to be getting a whole bunch of content and interviews from the course. By the time our listeners hear this right now, I will have already crushed the interviews, Mike. We got we got a lot of scheduled things coming up with some really cool players. I got some this or that's. We're breaking out the rule book. We're getting weird. Um, these LPGA Tour players are about to have the weirdest interview they've had in a while, uh, courtesy of me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to everything. Who's who's who can we tease as who you're going to get on this podcast? G- give you know, me, you give know me what the name. cool one is. You know what the cool yeah. one is, which is a name that you and I know that's just been in the golf lexicon forever in the women's game, is Bam Bam, aka Brittany Lincecum. How about that mm. name? You know, she's she's been on the LPGA tour for better part of 10, 15 years now. Uh, she's now living life as a mom. Um, just one of the examples of the really cool batch of LPGA players I'm going to get to talk to uh, on the course. Be sure to follow on Instagram so you can get a tease and see who I connect with this week on the course before you hear the interviews here uh, at COL Podcast. And I'm at Course of Life Alex. So yeah, it'll be fun checking out the press conferences, Mike. Um I got to figure out a good questions for these press conferences, you know, so, something to hit, something to, to surprise them. And uh, I look forward to, uh, to covering everything for the first major championship in, uh, in Texas in a bit. Yep. So make sure to keep an eye on Instagram, Twitter, all that fun stuff to see stuff that pops up there. Definitely. The PGA Tour is uh, headed to New Orleans for the Zurich Classic team golf on tour two man teams uh down there and uh defending champs patrick cantley and xander shoffley are teamed up once again they maybe kind of headline this field though matthew fitzpatrick is there playing with his brother alex colin Morikawa is playing with max homa oh yeah um you know there there are some really interesting looking teams out here siwoo kim and tom kim playing together uh as well I, I'm looking for Sahith Tagala to get a W here. He's playing with Justin Sue. Um, just fun to kind of look at these teams, see what's going to happen. Our guy Taylor Montgomery playing with Kurt Kitayama. That's that Vegas gonna... connection that I saw firsthand yep. at Dell Match Play. They've been playing together for years now, so I'll be interested. They're definitely on my card. Check out my RunYourPool.com preview for everyone that I like, but you just named a few of them right there. I, I like yep. a few of those teams you mentioned. Um, I'm also going to shout out Billy Horschel and Sam Burns. They're always contending in this event. They get experience at the course, and Sam Burns is playing better than ever right now, so there's no reason they can't take it down. I actually have the replay of last year's event on in the hotel room right now, and, and we're actually <laughs> forgetting how hard Cantley and Shoffley dominated this event last year. Yeah, like they were, yeah. they were up like three to five shots for like all of Sunday. I think it got a little closer in the end, but I mean, they're absolutely unequivocally the team to be because Mike, they both played really well last week. They're both in good form. I don't know. It's going to, going to be hard to top them this week. Yeah. The, the one team I'd love to see win, but let's be honest, won't win is John Daly and David Duvall. <laughs> yes. Thank you for mentioning this. I completely forgot to put this in our notes, but the, the most random team, as you scroll down the list of, of companions in the Zurich Classic Field, is all of a sudden out of nowhere, is that John Daly and David Duvall p- playing in a team competition on the PGA Tour in 2023? What, yep. what happened to the calendar, Mike? Wow. Unbelievable. It should be fun to watch. It should be indeed. All right, let's switch over to Tuned In, where we share what we're tuning into outside of the world of sports. Before we talk about what we're individually tuned into, uh, as New Englanders, we have to recognize that we're recording this on a Monday, and it is Marathon Monday. It's Patriots uh, Day. Yes, that's up right. In Boston. Uh, the marathon has already happened. Uh, under two minutes, two hours, two minutes, under two minutes, under two hours and six minutes is the winning time for the men. 
just incredible. I'm exhausted just looking at how fast they're able Absolutely to run this absurd course. Absurd time. Jesus Christ. Yeah, and obviously I know, you know, you you got really cool, uh, amazing Boston Marathon um, memories regarding the Red Sox as well, too, because that's one of the interesting traditions a lot of people in the sports world don't really recognize. it. Every year, Patriots Day, Marathon Monday, there's also a 11 a.m. Red Sox game at Fenway Park going on simultaneously as the runners run by as well. Yeah, I mean, this is it's it's just peak Boston going on all over the place. Uh, and of course, this year being the 10 year anniversary of the, the the bombing at the marathon, I did have a friend who finished 10 minutes before the bombs went off. And we were fortunate enough and lucky enough to have tickets to Fenway at the first game back after they mm. reopened the city which was just an incredible moment. Of course, Big Poppy, this is our fucking city. Yep. And rolling out anyone who had anything to do with uh, capturing the suspects and and bringing them to, ju- you know, eventually getting them to justice and just everything that happened there. And they, they rolled out all the stops of that game. That was that an was amazing game. Bill's moment. And I, I say this to you every time you bring this up. I was like, you know, in our life, we're, we're going to get, we've attended some amazing sporting events and we're going to get to more, but there's just those ones that will always stick out and be pillars uh, uh, of your life as a sports fan. That one's going to be with you forever. That, that's a really yeah. cool day and experience there. Like I say, like I like to say too, uh, since becoming a Yankee fan, there are only two times that I've been at Fenway where I'm rooting for the Red Sox. That is obviously one of those times. Everyone in that stadium, no matter who you really rooted for outside of that day, you were a Red Sox fan that day. Very cool. Cool stuff. Uh, outside of that, though, I'm also tuned into, surprisingly enough, just new reels about New England on Instagram. Uh, I've been sending you a couple, Alex. Uh, there was one in w- uh, this nice little hip hop song about how great Market Basket is. Oh, Market and Basket. Yeah, of course. Market yeah. Basket, which, you know, you see current photos of new Market Baskets, and they look exactly like the Market Baskets we shopped in 25 years ago, 30 years ago when we were kids. They don't change the look of these places, even yeah, when but they, they change the brand. Lights on the front sign, Mike. So it's all different. You know, everything's yeah, different. Yeah, so. you know. Uh, <laughs> but that, and then I also just sent you a reel with the top five New England jingles. What do you What do you think is number? I don't know if you've listened oh, to it Jesus. yet. Jesus, one eight hundred fifty four giant. No, that was no, that was not it. Honeydew donuts. It. No, come hmm. on, man. It's a new, it's a New Hampshire institution as well. All right, tell me what it is because I'm, I'm my brain's scattered right now. What, what are the top water, ones? Water country. Oh my gosh. Water country. Have some fun. Of course. Yes. Yes. Uh, Canopy yes. Lake Park. Always a great one as well, too. Yeah. Yep. And Wachusett. Uh, Wachusett Wach- Wach- Mountain. Wach- Mountain skiing everywhere. Yep. Minutes away. Yeah. Yep. There you go. So hilarious stuff on the, on the Instagram reels. Good stuff. Uh, my review is coming this week for my trip to the cinema last week. It was another mm. Wednesday night movie for me in Texas. And uh, we saw one that's getting a lot of talk and maybe even a tiny bit of little Oscar buzz harping on that New England theme. In case you can't tell, we're from New England. I love me some Ben Ben Affleck and Matt Damon dating all the way back to Goodwill Hunting, which we also rewatched this past weekend. But of course, we went and saw Air, the movie, The Store of Air Jordan, the Nike brand. Uh, it was an unbelievable movie, Mike. Really well told. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, just that combo hits you in the feels, brings back all the nostalgia. Uh, but they told the Nike versus Converse versus Adidas uh, market battle really well as it pertained to getting and signing Michael Jordan. And uh, just a lot of fun throwback 80s NBA references. 
Ah, jeez, Mike. I'm going four and a half out of five stars. That was the best in-theater wow. attended movie I've seen in probably the last year, I'd say. That's interesting. I've heard a lot of mixed reviews about Air, quite honestly. So, But I mean, again, that, that movie hits right in my wheelhouse. You know, we're talking classic 80s NBA basketball, Jordan, Akeem Olajuwon references left and right. It's like it, that, that uh, 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 admittedly, I'm right in the niche audience for that movie. But overall, really great performance from Damon and Affleck. So I'd highly encourage any sports or basketball fan to check it out because they'll enjoy it. All right. Air in theaters right now. Let's uh, get into this week's guest. Surprisingly, uh, I, I, you know, I'm such a big NFL fan, as you know, hashtag sarcasm, that uh, when you reminded me who was going to be on this week's podcast, I was like, oh, yeah, it's the NFL draft. It's draft season. It's coming up next Thursday night. And that means it's time to bring on our resident NFL draft expert, Cole Thompson. It is. Yeah. I love Cole's energy. He always brings it. He's got a, a wealth of knowledge. This guy is just a fountain of draft facts every time I bring him on. And it is draft season. Um, I wrote a bunch of previews for different positions on runyourpool.com, but Cole is the expert at all things draft board. And, and he gets a little bit into our teams as well, too. So so a little bit of a tidbit on, on where our Patriots and Giants might be looking in round one. Uh, so fun chat with a friend of the show coming your way. We'll get to that chat with Cole in just a moment, but first, let's talk about our good friends at Desert Fox Golf. They've uh, been around with us for a while. They got the phone caddy, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast. You know, yes, straps I'm, I'm giving your phone. out uh, phone caddies to everyone this week, by the Ooh. way. So if you're getting interviewed by me, you're getting a phone caddy as well. That's pretty good because the phone caddies are just pretty awesome. Every, everyone really should have one. Of course, it holds your phone up on that uh, post of the golf cart so you can easily view it all day long. You don't need to worry about it being somewhere else in yep. your cart or maybe stuck behind at the last hole. You also can get yourself a uh, swing aid tumbler that's got, you know, like 40% more birdies or they got other ones as well. If you don't want a, a uh, golf themed tumbler, they got other ones. It's got a cool look, too. It doesn't look like a tumbler. It looks like a uh, tall boy can going on there. And we think you should get all this stuff and you should save money with it. You can save 10% off your purchase of a phone caddy, of a swing aid tumbler, of anything at DesperFoxGolf.com with our promo code Course of Life. You can get one of any different color of the, uh, of the, of the phone caddy. You can get one of any different design of the swing aid tumbler. They've got some other stuff there too, some other cool accessories to check out. So again, that's desertfoxgolf.com, also desertfoxproducts.com. Use that promo code course of life to save 10%. Again, that's promo code course of life at desertfoxgolf.com. Next up, he writes on all things Big 12, SEC, and Texas football for Fan Nation. He's burning the midnight oil on Sports Map Radio as well, and he's our resident NFL draft expert, which begins April 27th. It's Cole Thompson back on the show joining us. Cole, my man, how you doing? Well, it's always lying season. It's always fun to be able to try and dictate who is telling exactly, showing out all their cards, who is the person that is really going to be actually drafting who they say they are, and... uh Let's go get some trades, which exactly is what I think is the most point of conversation moving forward going into the draft. Besides that, pretty well. 
Interesting. Good stuff. Okay, yeah, so let's start there because the buzz that I'm seeing around the top of the draft is that we've got this slew of quarterbacks that all seem to be gravitating towards the top of the board as we get closer and closer. And I'm talking about Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis. Um, I've even seen rumors that they could all go in the first four picks of the draft. Is, is that a crazy thought or is that something that's possibly out on the board for night one? I don't think it's a crazy thought because if you have to see some trades get done, but you have to realize the Texans are looking at a quarterback at pick number two. Now, multiple reports people I've reached out to says that they're not locked in on just taking a quarterback. So okay. if they feel like Bryce Young is the only option for them, they may be willing to either trade down, take another position player. They may just want the best bargain, whatever they can get. And this is an organization that has a lot of holes throughout its entire roster. They still need a number one wide receiver now that Brandon Cooks is traded. They still need to get a long-term pass rusher for a defense that finished bottom five in total pressures, bottom five in yards after contact, and the worst run defense in the NFL. They still need to add in probably a leader linebacker. They can always go ahead and look to add in a right tackle for the foreseeable future because Titus Howard's going into a contract year. So if they don't fall in love with the quarterback, they could do a lot of different things at pick two, including trading out. Arizona, since the combine, I have heard, has been looking to move from number three. They've okay. always been open. They've always been looking to field calls. They've always been trying to move back and get more draft capital for Jonathan Gannon and Monty Austin for it. Brand new regime comes in the building, mainly because of the position that they're targeting are not worth the value of the number three pick. They need to get better at the in, at the at the cornerback position. They need to find themselves the number one guy on the boundary. They're looking to add in another wide receiver, potentially Quinton Johnson from TCU, maybe a Zay Flowers from Boston College. And the value at three is not there, but the value at say eleven or twelve potentially is. The Titans are a team that you really need to keep a close eye on. They now have a brand new GM in the building with Rand Carthen, and Rand Carthen is going to be a guy that is going to dictate very quickly if he believes that Malik Willis can be the future. And that's not to say that Willis can't be a successful quarterback in the NFL. It just may not be with Tennessee because of who now is running the show. So if they think that they can get better production long-term from an Anthony Richardson or a uh, Will, uh, I mean a Will Levis or if C.J. Stroud falls to number three, they're willing to probably go ahead and give up immense draft capital the next two years to find their foreseeable future franchise cornerstone. Okay. And the main reason why is because who's sitting at pick number four? And that's the Indianapolis Colts, an AFC South rival. And everything that I've heard is that they are looking to go young in the draft. They like Will Levis. They like Anthony Richardson. I think that they would be absolutely floored if somehow C.J. Stroud fell to them a very dynamic complete quarterback in terms of college production and in terms of mechanically sound based off of what you saw from him at the combine, what you saw from him during his two years as a starter with Ohio state. It just feels like a very complete fit. So it wouldn't shock me, especially if the Raiders were also to consider moving up into pick number two with the Texans, if Texans want to move out that you would see CJ Stroud or Bryce Young go number one, Will Levis or Bryce Young or CJ Stroud go number two. Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, or Will Levis go number three, and then the last quarterback go number four. I think it's very, very plausible, especially if you see 
a team like Tennessee move out to pick number three. That's intriguing and very exciting for draft fans too, because that's going to involve some real blockbuster trade movement uh, right around draft night. So I am looking forward to that possibility. Um, And yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see uh, where these top four QBs go. Just regarding those, those four, um, if you had to pick one out of the top four QBs that we just mentioned, which one is maybe your, your most likely to bust or the one that you're, you have the lowest stock on coming out of the draft here. I mean, it's Will Levis because of just when you look at the little things and the nuances about his game, they just don't translate. And the problem is, is that he's 24 years old. Mm, okay. And a lot of those things at that point are so well embedded into your brain. You basically have to relearn how to play quarterback. And at that age, it becomes challenging to do so. Where a Josh Allen was told when he was in Buffalo, basically everything you played when you were doing in the likes of Wyoming, yeah, you're going to not do that shit anymore. We're going to get rid of it. We're <laughs> not going to allow you to have that. We're going to go ahead and just make you learn how to replay the position. But he was 21, so it's a lot easier for his brain that hasn't been playing in a certain style of offense to translate over. So little things like his footwork and where his foot placement is when he's delivering a ball is really inconsistent. I feel like that part of the reason why he struggled immensely during his time when he was at Kentucky last year was they had a crap offensive line. The offensive play calling was absolutely erratic when they got rid of Liam Cohen because he went back to the NFL to work with the Rams. The wide receiver core was absolutely horrendous. I mean, you thought that when you lost Wandale Robinson and when they brought in other players, that they were going to have similar success because of, again, it was a transfer player who was going to be able to come in right away, being a benefactor, and it wasn't. But they also had a horrendous offensive line. So I think the decision-making has always been a weak point for him. I feel like his footwork is nowhere near close to the level of what you want. I will say he can throw with anticipation. That's the one positive about his game because of he was under duress so much. I mean, he was more blanketed than somebody sitting in negative 10-degree weather in the middle of a snowstorm. <laughs> yeah. He was that blanketed by defensive lineman up front. So I feel like that that's going to be a saving grace, but there's so many tools to his game that I just think are going to be so well put into his mind that even with the best quarterback coaches, the best gurus, the best offensive coordinators in the NFL, it's never going to translate because at that point, it's just so well put together. It doesn't mean he's going to be a bust in my opinion, I just have the lowest floor for him. And there's a little, there's like other things that you look at when it's like an Anthony Richardson who's 21 years old and he may have a 53.3% completion rate, but he also is still dynamic as a playmaker. He's got mobility. He's got a better arm. He's got a little bit more of a better footwork in my opinion. Yeah. Way more questions for Richardson, but a way higher floor, I think. A way higher, a way, a way higher, uh, no, I mean, yeah, a way higher ceiling and a way low floor. So that's the biggest problem. Um, And then like Hendon Hooker's a weird one because Mm. Hooker's a dude who's 25 years old and the go-go style of offense that Josh Heupel likes to run is basically Looney Tunes cartoonish that you would see in the NFL. Like even the smartest offensive coordinators in the game will not usually run any bit of those split wide, double tight, uh, receivers where they stack up against each other. It's not going to translate, but there's still some things about his game that I think can at least work as a good backup fringe starter to where I don't think he's a first round talent, but there's enough to where you can see positivity where the floor is so stable. The ceiling just is so damn low. Like, and I think that's why maybe I would say he has a better chance of having a longer career than Levis because of that boom bust potential really isn't there. It's just a lot of nuances of 
straight and narrow. Like, he's a guy that if you take him in the third round and he ends up having a very stellar 12-year career as a backup, fringe starter, okay, I can see it happening. Where I can see Levis either be a top 10 quarterback if all of these traits that he has immediately get taken out that are pro- that are problematic, or I can see him be out of the league in three years and be worse than Zach Wilson. Okay, noted. We'll watch out for the quarterbacks and where they go night one for sure. Let's get to a couple other quick positions on the NFL draft. Um, there's some really cool talent at the top of the board uh, when we're talking about wide receiver. I want you to just take a pick between the top two that a lot of people are seeing that could go off the board Thursday night, uh, referring to Quentin Johnson, the bet big body wide receiver that everyone saw for TCU, just game-breaking all year. And then Jackson Smith and Jigba, a guy that we didn't see at all this year, uh, was out with injury for uh, Ohio State. It appears like those are the top two guys which one do you maybe prefer or see going off the board first? I do not think at all that ja- that Quentin Johnson is in the same kind of conversation with Chad Spinach. Wow, and okay. That's not a knock. That's not a knock of Quentin Johnson. The problem is, is that when you look at Quentin Johnson's game, he does a lot of good. He has good speed. He has good route running. He has good catch radius. He has good hands. He has good uh, point of att- uh, point of attack. He is good but he's not great in any level of the field. Everything is just good with Quentin Johnson. And maybe that makes him one of the more safer prospects at the position, but he's not a late route runner. Jackson Digitba is. He doesn't have elite speed. Jalen Hyatt does. He doesn't have complete, pristine, short yardage ability. Jordan Addison does. He doesn't have strong hands. That's an area, I mean, he doesn't have elite strong hands. That's an area where someone like, I would probably say Cedric Tillman from Tennessee or Zay Flowers kind of does. He doesn't do much after the catch where a guy like Zay Flowers does or a guy like Marvin Mims from Oklahoma does. The thing with a guy like Quentin Johnson is if he goes in like the middle mid-20s to late-20s, it's amazing value. It's incredible value because of what he provides for your staff is a good complementary piece to usually a team that has a bona fide number one receiver. Where a Jackson and Jigba maybe won't win with speed, but what he will do is he will win with the ability to force uh, force yards after the catch, and he'll win with complete route running. He is probably the second best route runner in the class, only behind Jordan Addison. And that short yardage burst, a lot of people look at the 40 time and they go, oh, okay, well, four, 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 I mean a four, four, five, or a four, five, one, or one of those, like one of those markers is like, oh, it's sure. slow. I look at the 20-yard shuttle time because if you're going to be left in the slot, which is an area where a lot of people think he is going to thrive in the NFL, you need to be really quick at that 20-yard shuttle. And he blew the doors off that. I think he ended in the 98th percentile when it came to that, that, that number. So he's going to win with the short to intermediate routes because of his ability to change direction at the drop of a hat. He's going to win because if he has very solid hands. He's going to win because of all those little tricks that you look for in a wide receiver number one, he possesses. And I still feel like that he is going to have a very consistent 800 to maybe 1,100-yard career type guy, but that doesn't mean he can't be a number one. I feel like Quentin Johnson is more so a nice complimentary piece. And and you got to realize, smart teams are going to always want to have two type of receivers on the field because if you look at San Francisco, they have Debo Samuel and they have Brandon Ayuk, and they very well complement each other. Philadelphia, they have Devonta Smith and they have A.J. Brown. One is known for route running, one is known for physicality. Absolutely, They yeah. complement each other very well. Uh, Tyree Kill and Jaden Waddle, they're both known as great route runners. Both are known for great speed. They can win at any single level of the field. Both are 1,000-yard type playmakers. So 
Waddle would be a number one in most offenses, but he's a number two because of you have Tyreek fucking Hill. Like, that's just the way it is. And it's the same thing with, like, Cincinnati, where T. Higgins is probably a top 15 receiver in the NFL. And because Jamar Chase is the number one, we often relegate him to the number two spot. It just, to me, seems like just because you have him as a wide receiver number two, it doesn't mean he can't be successful in the league. In fact, I think that Johnson, in most roles, will be successful. But I'm not taking a wide receiver number two in the top 12 picks. I'm taking them around 23 through 25. Okay, noted. All right, yeah, I'm watching out for Smith and Jigma. We'll get back to him in a little bit. Uh, let's talk about a, a running back that's leading the way for the RB class. And you and I are in Texas, so we've heard and seen everything there is to see and hear about B. John Robinson in the last few years in Austin as a Longhorn. He's obviously projecting out as the first running back off the board. I just saw him at the Dell match play a few weeks ago. The guy's in tip-top shape. He's ready to go. The, the question is, everyone's yelling at him which team he's going to go to, and he's got no idea... Uh, Cole Thompson. So, so give me your guess as to where do you think Bijan Robinson lands in the first round? I don't know. I, I don't because and, and like it's 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 baffling because if I've reached out to executives, I've talked to people who are much more knowledgeable at this sport than I am. I've reached out to former mentors that have taught me about scouting film, and they've all said the same thing. He's a blue chip prospect. He is a top three player in this year's class. He is an elite playmaker, and he's not just a running back. But the running back position is so devalued, you're going to get burnt, and mm. you don't know where's the right time to take him. I feel like that the the, the, the ceiling for him would be Philadelphia at number 10. I actually, no, the, the ceiling for him would probably be Atlanta at number 8, because Atlanta is a very run-oriented offense, and even though they have Ty Algier, who blew off last year, they still could utilize having a grid 1-2 combination where – you just trust having great playmakers and you take pressure off of Desmond Ritter. So it feels like the ceiling for him. I think that if Chicago was able to move down just a little bit and they felt comfortable with what the offensive tackle class looks like and they want to move back up into the first round, if they paired him with Justin Fields, it'd be a really interesting combination at, say, number 11 or, say, number 13. Uh, I, I feel like that Detroit is another team, very solid offensive line, they did a phenomenal job last year in the run game, especially in the red zone. They felt like they needed to upgrade off of Jamal Williams by bringing in a David Montgomery from Chicago, who is a much better fit for a Ben Johnson-led offense. Right. But DeAndre Swift is also there, and he's going into a contract year, and he has failed to meet expectations. And they have four picks in the top 55. You can use one of them on an outlier. Like Everyone says that running backs are a luxury pick. There's not a lot of holes right now in Detroit. There's a lot of questions about what the upside and full potential is, but holes, there's not a lot. Like they have a stellar offensive line. They have two really good receivers in Amon Ross St. Brown and Marvin Jones. They have another guy on the rise in Jamison Williams. I don't think they're going to take a tight end in the first round, especially in a very tight end heavy draft class. The linebacking core is fine. It's not great, but it's sustainable. The running, I mean, the, the, the secondary is very much improved. The defensive line, they could target a guy somewhere at six, meaning Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech, Jalen Carter from Georgia. If he falls, Will Anderson from Alabama. And the quarterback class actually has pretty good depth to where you can get a guy that a lot of people thought maybe would sneak into the end of round one at the early stages of round two. So I feel like that that's a location. I think the floor for him is probably Buffalo at 27. If he's there, the fact that they just need to get playmakers around Josh Allen is so adamant and it's not just the fact that they have a guy in Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis is a fine wide receiver three and you maybe like Khalil Shakir from Boise State the fifth round pick and Dawson Knox is an okay tight end 
But you can't ask Josh to be averaging 6.1 yards per carry anymore. You got to be able to add in that extra name in the backfield. So 27, I feel like, is the floor. If he's there past 27, somebody's got to trade up to go get him because he can run, he can pass block. He's so phenomenal in between the trenches. His vision is some of the best I've ever seen. He's so far ahead of the game that he's 20 yards down the field seeing where a, where a defensive back is going to cut. That He automatically knows which direction he's going to turn before he even comes close to meeting up with them. Yeah, I just love his tape so much. And I would have no problem drafting him top 10. But again, the value of the position just is not there. It'll be interesting to see where he does eventually get drafted. You just gave me a slight nightmare because as you probably know by now, I'm a New England Patriots fan. So just the thought of Bijan Robinson in a backfield for Josh Allen uh, is uh, an absolute nightmare for Patriots fans. So let's quickly do 60 seconds on each of our teams here. Uh, let's start with my Patriots. Um, the draft and, and pick 14, they, they went and, and did the unthinkable a couple years back getting Mac Jones. Um, then it was the reach for Cole Strange and a limited draft capacity last year. Uh, now where they sit at 14, Cole, what do you think? Is is this a splash opportunity to get someone like Jack Sm- Jackson Smith and Jigba? Or is this your typical kind of Bill Belichick, you know, boring, shore up the, the offensive or defensive line type of pick? I feel like that there's two options right now. I don't think Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be there. I think that Zay Flowers would be a really intriguing concept Ooh, yes. on the Bill O'Brien yeah. offense. I really do like his ability to win after the catch. A lot of people think that he's going to be a slot receiver. I personally think in this style of offense, he can play on the outside. He just wins based off of quickness and lateral ability. So if he's there at 14, I've heard that they really do like him, that that could be a selection. And it feels like that that's probably the only other wide receiver that I would take somewhere in the top 20. I think the other pick right now is probably an offensive tackle. And I know that it's boring, but you don't have a good, stable left tackle for the future. That's for uh, you sure. Don't have, I mean, you don't have Isaiah win anymore. He's a free agent. You brought over Riley Reef. I think he's better at right tackle than he is at left tackle at this point. A guy like Broderick Jones makes a lot of sense because if I feel like with him, he can come in right away and win in pass pro, which is exactly what you want if you're trying to keep Mac Jones upright. But if they were able to move down a little bit, like to say, I don't know, like say Will Levis falls to you at 14 and they want to move back. If they could get Anton Harrison from Oklahoma, I feel like that that's a really intriguing option because if he is a plug-and-play left tackle only, he's never taken a wrap on the right side, he's only been in at left tackle, but he's a three-year starter, and the guy only allowed, I think, a grand total of 11 pressures in three years. So I can see that being the selection. I think Zay Flowers is probably another name to keep a close eye on, but I do think it's going to be offense. Okay, I like that. Let, let's circle back to your Texans now, and you mentioned the quarterback shuffle going on. Uh, just uh, on the record, you know where, where, what, where, and what you think the Texans will do with pick number two uh, come Thursday night? I think they're going to trade it. I yeah. really do. I think I think that they're going to trade it if they if they don't fall in love. And, and this is the thing about Houston: there's still a roster that is so hampered, a blue chip talent that they can't just go ahead and take a player because if they need a player in a position. So the best way to guarantee that you get blue chip players and control your draft board is by moving down and getting as much draft capital as possible. I can see a trade opportunity with either Indianapolis because if they know that whoever is moving up to number three is going to take either Anthony Richardson or Will Levis and they just go get their guy pick number two. I can see that happen. Or I could see the Las Vegas Raiders, if they're all in on Richardson or if they're all in on C.J. Stroud, moving up five spots. And then Houston takes the best pass rusher available. And it could very much be Will Anderson. It may end up being a guy like a Lucas Van Ness from Iowa. I think that's a huge reach. I think Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech is another player to keep a close eye on. 
he's somewhere in that four through six range. And I think at number 12, you either go ahead and you add in a wide receiver for whoever's playing quarterback, or if he's there, I would consider Will Levis at that point. But I don't think he will be. I think that they're probably going to look at another avenue. I would not be shocked if they, at the start of round two, take Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee. That feels like a very easy selection. So when I add in a wide receiver, I think that personally, Jackson Jigba would be the right option. But also, if you really want to go ahead and continue to fortify your defense under a defensive-minded head coach, go ahead and add a cornerback. I feel like Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State, his press coverage and his physical alpha dog mentality really would pair well with Derek Stingley. Yeah, exciting to see, man, Joey Porter Jr. on the draft board. That's how I know I'm getting old. <laughs> Good stuff. It's, it's crazy, dude. I, I just did an article not too long ago on um, T.Y. Hilton's son. Oh, man. Being, being, no, being a recruit for the University of Texas. <laughs> His son. He's still in the NFL. His son is going to college. <laughs> oh, Drake Kirkpatrick's son is committed to Alabama. That made me feel old. I swear we haven't been watching that long, have we, Cole? God. No, no. I'm not even 30. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you you guys have kids that are going to be in college. They're like five years. They're like eight years younger than me. How old are you? Good stuff. Hey, let's um, circle to one more team real quick because I know my co-host would love to ask about the Giants. Just give me a 30 to 60 second thought on, on the Giants. On the heels of re-signing Daniel Jones, they were very unsure what they were going to kind of do and then fell into the season that they had under Brian Dable. What does their future and, and their draft weekend look like? You know, this is where I actually like a Quentin Johnson. I feel like in this style of offense, he would be really beneficial because you're not going to ask him immediately to be a number one. You're going to ask him to be a very nice complimentary piece on the outside of Sterling Shepard. Also, at the same time, they really like Darius Slayton to be that vertical presence. So you already are asking him literally to be that possessional receiver. And you're not even asking him to really be that much of a possessional receiver because you have Darren Waller, who's more so a flex tight end than he is a full-fledged tight end. And you just trade away to go add him to the mix. So I feel like that if they were not going to go with the linebacker, which I think might end up being the move, especially if they trade down, a Drew Sanders from Arkansas makes a lot of sense for this weak Martindale blitz-heavy defense. Quinton Johnson, this is kind of like the range I really like him in, where he gets to be that possessional receiver, that six foot four, win with size type of capability. And it makes a lot more sense for him to go here than it does somewhere in the top 15. Okay, noted. Love it. Again, it's Mr. Cole Thompson on Twitter, Cole underscore Thompson on Instagram, if you want to follow along for all of his great coverage around football and the draft specifically. Uh, before we wrap, though, obviously got to congratulate you because I know a lot of change in your life uh, for the better, of course. You're now an engaged man. So I'm curious, Cole, well, what's the uh, the wedding planning process look like and, and how's the countdown going for you? Honeydew, 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 and then write paychecks. That's all I'm doing at this point. I'm very much okay with not having to say at my wedding. Oh, I get to go have fun with my buddies, and I get to go marry the love of my life? Cool. You have whatever wedding you want. I'll sign a piece of paper. That's kind of it. And it's, it's really boring, but it's like, I okay, I'm not, a big, I'm not a big fan of cake, so whatever you want for the cake, I'll have a bite of it. Right. Oh, what do I want for what, what do I want for dinner? I'm going to eat it anyway, so go ahead and decide what you want for dinner. Uh, what do you want is our first song? Probably our first, uh, probably this first song that we listened to when we first had our first dance. Okay, that's easy. Well, what do you think of it? Whatever you want, honey, just tell me where to sign on the dotted line. Man, very okay. You're, you're already a fast learner. Well, you're, you're doing a great job with marriage already, and you haven't even got there. Exciting stuff. Hey, let's end with a food question. We love talking food at the end. Our, our 19th whole question here. I know you get into a lot of late night, early morning talking on Sports Map Radio. That's where you can check him out. Uh, just saying it with Cole Thompson. Uh, I'm curious, what's like the pre and post show? diet look like you know before you before and after you hop on the air so i 
have a, uh, I have a infatuation with Alani New. I think Alani New is the best energy drink out there, and it's not a sponsorship deal. Like I, I wish it was a sponsorship. Never deal. heard of it. Wow. The, I, I would promote the hell out of them as much as possible. But it's got the same amount of caffeine as Red Bull, but it has a lot more of antioxidants that don't really destroy your inner liner liner of the stomach. And it's a granola bar. It's literally just to keep my energy and my tempo up, and it's just something to go ahead and add something into my body. Um, afterwards. It's probably a cup of coffee because I usually go ahead and write or I go ahead and go right to the gym and I try to sweat off all the sh- all the stuff that I ate the night before. I try <laughs> and just cleanse out my system. So it's usually a cup of coffee and it's usually coffee black. And I'm like the most, like people always get mad at me because they're like, you know how to cook. Like your, your cooking style is phenomenal. And then when I tell them like my Chipotle order and then my coffee order, they're like, what the hell are you? Like, how are you so boring? I'm like, dude, I don't know. I just don't like all the frou-frou shit. Like, <laughs> I I'm, love like, it. I'm a guy, I'm a guy that will like never have a burger of like garlic aioli and arugula salad and stuff like that. No, just give me lettuce, cheese, tomato, extra pickle, hold the mayo, add in ketchup. Done deal. I'm very simple when it comes to that. But I'll cook the shit and I love cooking. So like it's like a it's like a giant oxymoron. Interesting dichotomy, indeed. He's our resident draft expert. Always fascinating to talk with you, Cole. Exciting to see what happens with the NFL this weekend and the rest of the offseason. And uh, thanks again for hopping on the Course Life. Hey, it's time, my man. And we're back. Great chat there with Cole. Good to hear his insights. What do you think about what's going to happen with the Patriots in the draft? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'd like it to be a little more sexy than maybe Cole's predicted. I'd love that big, flashy wide receiver like Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State, but it just doesn't seem like a Bill Belichick move. It's going to be that big, gaping offensive lineman, Mike, on the left side to project Mac Jones. I know it's boring, but but, I mean, you and I have watched enough football to know how important that position is. I mean, look, the offensive line is really the most important position players on the field, because if you can't get protection to your quarterback or your running back, then what are you even doing on the field? Just why are you there? Yeah, I mean, they made a movie called The Blind Side for a reason. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Uh, And of course, I think it's surprising that we're not talking about drafting a quarterback for the Giants, because I guess we have. How about that? Yeah. What a weird world. We're just, uh, we're in on Daniel Jones now. This is the world we're in. (laughs) Yeah, crazy, crazy world, crazy world. Uh, but hey, if you all like that interview with Cole, plus everything else we do here on yep. this podcast, go ahead and punch that subscribe button on the podcast app you're using right now. Give us a rating, five stars, four stars, thumbs up, whatever the appropriate rating is. Even if you think a thumbs down is appropriate for us, you've listened to us through two thirds of the podcast already. Mm, you must think we're doing something right. So either that or we have gaslit you so much that oh, you just yes. are sticking around. I'm okay with like the fans who are hate listening. I'm actually okay with having a few of those, Mike. It's always good to have a few of those just to kind of keep your audience honest. You know, I, I want a few people that are that are not on my side. I'm okay with yeah, that. I'm okay with that too. I am. Uh, you can let us know what you think also on Instagram. We're at COL Podcast. He's a course of life. Alex, I'm at MWRINC. We talk on Twitter as well while it continues to burn to the ground. We're there yep. until there's nothing left over our heads. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm at MWRINC. He's at Course of Life One. Let's real quick talk on uh, our our bandwagon teams. Uh, that would be the Boston Celtics and the Boston Bruins. They are in their respective postseason runs. Uh, Celtics, give me give me a percentage chance right now of winning it all. The Celtics. 
40 to 50% chance, Mike. It's all about okay. getting past the Bucks in the conference finals. Giannis just hurt his back in game one. The West is wide open. The Warriors aren't what they were last year. You remember they, they spoiled our mm-hmm. championship party last summer. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the path is there again. It, this is the exact same team as last year though, which is the problem because they have a couple of little tiny little fatal flaws, which hopefully they can avoid in the next two months. But the path is there. They're, they're, they're in the right place. They're going to, they're going to walk through the first round. So, uh, I'm, imp- I'm impressed with what I see heading into the playoffs. The Bruins, meanwhile, had finished the season with the best uh, record in the league, most wins all time and most points all time. Over under on uh, so it's Bruins versus the field, I guess maybe. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- so here's the thing with the Bruins. I, I love me some Bruins playoff hockey, but there's just this weird ick that's been around the Boston Bruins for a while now. <laughs> I can't quite put my finger on it. I don't know if it's left over from 2019 Game Seven losing at the Garden in the Stanley Cup to the Blues, but there's just something about this team that just has me a little jittery uh, heading into the start of playoffs again. They had an unbelievable historic history-making uh, regular season. I hope they get it done and get over the hump and do win the East and win the Cup. It's going to take a pretty impressive effort, though. And, and the NHL playoffs, just like the NBA playoffs, also a marathon, too. So I'll get yes. back to you in about a month or two as we get further into this thing. Yep, I will say I do think it's it, would, it only makes sense let's, since Connecticut won both the uh, NCAA basketball and ice hockey tournament. <clears throat> Go Bobcats. Oh, wow. That, a neighboring state like Massachusetts should win both the professional basketball and hockey seasons. A double double rolling over mm. up one state to the north. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. Okay, Why I'm here not? for it. You never know. Uh, but in the meantime, let's uh, hashtag always end with food. Yes, it's our food segment to end every course of life podcast. And I think we got a special little one too, because I was a little inspired by my drive out here. Obviously, Mike, you know, when, whenever you make a long drive in Texas, there, there's a just a, there's a couple thoughts. It's like, am I appropriately gassed so I don't end up in the middle of nowhere with no gas in my tank? That's the yep. first thought. And then the second thought is, is there a Bucky somewhere on the way that I can go to? Now, Bucky's for anyone who doesn't know, is a unbelievably large gas station, rest stop, supermarket, restaurant, rolled all into one. You could do your Christmas shopping there too if you'd like. And they have some of the unbelievably um, most tasty goodies you can imagine for rest stop snacks. Uh, Bucky's, Mike, what, what are your go-tos and favorites and first thoughts when you think of Bucky's? I, I know you miss it already just hearing me talk about it like this. Surprisingly, Alex, I never went in Texas. I didn't go until they opened some in Florida and I was driving down and went to one in Florida. But to me, and, and it's not, it's maybe not as sexy. It's maybe a little more standard. I, I just always go for chocolate covered pretzels and yogurt covered pretzels. Those are just kind of like good in sweet, salty, perfect. And I, I am a fan of the beaver nuggets. Oh yeah. They're Those just, are the classic they're, they're uh, good. little popcorn-y caramel nuggets. So this is the, way, the like, only way they can be it's, described. It's, it's corn pops, really. It's a corn pop cereal, but bigger. Okay, so this inspired an idea. I was in Bucky's yep. and I was thinking, you know what? I, I could do something more this week. I'm going to be interviewing some of the best golfers in the world. I got to give them a little Texas hospitality. So, so what I've done is I've compiled a Bucky's snack basket that I'm going to be presenting to, to some guests that we interview in upcoming episodes here at the Chevron. And the the question, Mike, for you is: I'm, I'm going to go through these snacks, and I want you to guess which one you think is going to get picked first and last off the litter. You know, these players are going to have their choice of a lovely Bucky's goodie. Let's quickly run through them and get your thoughts on what be, might be the first draft pick, Mike. First up, we've got the chocolate meringues, these little kind of 
waffly cookie shaped uh, chocolate goodies. They, they're absolutely yep. divine. Okay. Okay. Next, we've got the sweet and savory trail mix. Always a favorite. Love trail mix yep. on the road. Your beaver nuggets with sea salt and caramel are in the snack Ooh. basket. How about okay. some cinnamon spiced pecan nut bites? And last but not least, the jalapeno cheese puffs and the milk chocolate banana chips. These are all separate snacks from Bucky's. So as I read through that quick little list, like Mike, uh, which one do you think might get taken off the board first? You know, uh, I think you're either going to go with the, the cinnamon spice pecan nut bites or the beaver nuggets. Yeah, those are very Texas, I would say. Yeah. Those might be the two most Texan snacks I picked. Yep. And I feel like the beaver nuggets and just like the pecan in general, those are Bucky's hallmarks. I would say along yes. with those pretzels as well you mentioned. Yes. So those should be picked first. I'm thinking the jalapeno chiefs bus might get picked last, but you know, there's always that friend, there's always that friend and there's always that person in your group that loves the jalapeno spicy anything and they'll yeah. grab it first. And I always wondered who that person is, but we'll see if I run into one of those people tomorrow uh, at the tournament. Yeah, I would agree. I think either the cheese puffs are going to go last or or honestly, the chocolate meringues, because I just think those are kind of a niche snack. It's not really the chocolate you want, so I don't, I don't know. Okay, well, we'll see what happens with the Bucky Snack Basket Draft with our upcoming guests. Again, if you like the LPGA Tour, if you like Bachelor Nation, or if you love hearing from great former athletes from Major League Baseball, the NBA, or the NFL. This is your time to subscribe right now. We've got some amazing gifts coming in the next few weeks. Great guests coming to the course of life. Thank you, Mike, for hopping on. We'll see you next week.